We thank you, Lord. Our hearts are set on you. We are grateful for the way you have come to us, become one of us, conquered sin and death. And now you're reigning, waiting to return. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for always looking out for us, enabling us to work, always providing in some, some way. Thank you that we can give financially to your work. Thank you that you hear our prayers, and as we pray each day together as a family of faith, you are, you're working. Lord, we now come to your word. Would you now let the, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated, you're welcome now to go ahead and remove your masks while we are studying the word together. My, uh, my back wall clock is not working, but no worries. I have a phone clock. And we managed to get out of here in less than two hours last service. So I think that's just uh, God's provision there. Make you pray a little bit more. You know, the, the scripture is clear about gathering. Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. And I want to encourage you more and more to gather. I'm grateful and happy to see each one of you who are here I'm, I'm happy that people are in the chapel. I'm happy and encouraged that there are uh, actually people in the student center uh, worshiping this morning. Pastor David will be preaching in there. He preached at the 8.30 service. And again, it's because we're spacing. It's because we are engaging in worship and then we're adapting to what we're doing. And we're going to have to continue to adapt as we gather for worship in this place. And so we're going to have children here. Every time you hear children talking while I'm talking, give God praise. They're, they're, we're thrilled that they're here. And, and we love their insights. You know, why does Pastor Jason have no hair? I mean, it's a great question. It's worthy of prayer. I mean, you know, they, they want to talk about why are we still here? When are we leaving? What, 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 what are we going to eat? You know, they have things to talk about. So don't let that distract you. We're going to have to adapt. But we must engage. And, and God is going to lead us as we advance together. And when we come, we've got to come with the intention of seeing what God can do. God is doing great things. God is changing lives. He's changed our lives, many of our lives. He's changed lives even this morning. And, and we right now are, are trying to understand what is it he wants us to do. We know for certain he wants us to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. This summer, we're coming to see the need for love. Uh, that's the whole focus on, on this summer. Someone asked me, what does, the, what does the picture of the elephant with the cat and the umbrella, what does that even mean? It means love. It means that we are to love those who are not like us. It means that we are to understand that our greatest calling in life is to be like Jesus and to love other people. Now, today we're going to talk about loving a, a, an audience or a particular people uh, that it may seem odd to you that we would even need to talk about this as, as though maybe they, they didn't need love. But they do. Today we're going to talk about loving our rich neighbors. Our rich neighbors. The people who parked near you today. The people you live around. I know most of us in the room don't... Would, I'm not rich. The people I'm around aren't rich. Friends, please understand when we get to heaven... There are going to be a lot of people saying, y'all were rich. Most of us don't live on $2 a day or a week. 
Uh, most of us will spend as much on a meal today than, than many of our brothers and sisters in Christ will spend for a month. And so we need to understand everything's to scale, but we have unbelievable wealth in our country in particular, and praise God for it. Praise God that, that we have the ability to work the way we do and to produce the goods that we're able to produce. We should, we should never think that wealth is wrong. We should, we should always understand that, that wealth and resources are a gift, but they can be dangerous. They can cause problems. I mean, a lot of people wrongly believe uh, that we don't need to necessarily worry about our rich neighbors because they have everything with this idea that we've bought into the Western culture that, that money can buy everything. It can solve all of our problems. And friends, that's not true. Money has a limit. And we have to be careful of the problems that money creates. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money causes problems. It can create moral problems because, see, if money is your end goal, then, then lying and stealing and, 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 and causing other people problems and pain, it, it's okay because, you know, it's getting you to, to what you want, which is the obvious end, which is more stuff. And so the love of money creates moral issues. It also creates very serious spiritual issues. Money is a great tool. But when we love money, here's what we do. When we love money, we use God. As Christians, as people who believe, we understand that we're to love God and use money. And we've got to be very careful because even today, even today, there are so-called pastors, so-called Bible preachers who are going to, to, to bring, a, bring a message. I, again, I'm so hesitant to call it that. I want to call it what I really think it is, but I'm just going to be nice. But here's what they're going to say is that, is that money is God. They're not going to say it in those terms, but that's what they're going to ultimately communicate. And we need to use God because if we name it and we claim it, then God has to do it. Because God serves us to get us what we ultimately want, which is money. Friends, we got to be, y'all know what I'm saying. Y'all, we've got to be careful. Money is not the problem. The, the problem is the heart. It's what we're worshiping. Money is a great tool. And when we love God, we use that tool rightly. But when we, when we love money, it causes problems. It causes problems with, with our morality. It causes problems spiritually. And it causes problems relationally. Because ultimately, people become things. They become, you know, the, the, the obstacles. And without peace with God, we can't have peace within. And if we don't have peace within, we can't make peace with others. And other people are just like us. They're sinful. So you know what they're going to do? They're going to hurt our feelings, and we're going to hurt theirs. And you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to deal with conflict, and we're going to have to make peace. But if you don't have peace with God and peace within, you're not going to be able to make peace with others. And pursuing money and thinking that money can just buy away the problems, that's a lie. You have to understand, money is a great tool. It is not the problem. The love of money is. And there are a lot of people, some even here today, who honestly love money. And money creates hurt. Rich people often live isolated, paranoid, and stressful lives. One of the best representatives of that in in culture, in my mind, is Ebenezer Scrooge from Christmas Carol. 
Here was a man from the outside who seemingly had all the resources needed to be able to buy happiness, but he wasn't happy. And instead, what did he do? He spent every night eating alone, angry, and at the same time, afraid of the world. That's what happens to rich people. They become angry and afraid all at the same time. Uh, When asked about the poor, Ebenezer Scrooge said, it's not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Look at this one. Mine occupies me constantly. And that's the trap. Mine and me. Rich people easily get trapped in a world made up entirely of them, which is very empty. Rich people need help. Believe it or not, they are in, they're in serious trouble, spiritually speaking. They're, they're facing a hardship, many of us um, understand, but I don't think we fully comprehend. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He meant that. Rich people have a very big challenge. And God is calling us to love them. To love them and to serve them with the love of Christ. Last Sunday, we looked at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, and we were told how we were to live and how we were to love the poor. Our text today shows us what it looks like and what happens to a person who does not obey James chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's now go to our text for today, which is Luke chapter 16. Let me say this as you turn there. This text is going to be difficult for some of you to take serious. For those of you who do take this text serious, it's going to scare you. It's going to bother you. Either way, this is going to be hard. Whether you ignore it and have difficulty embracing it, or if you do embrace it and dealing with the ramifications of it. Because we live in a world that is all about the here And now, we live in a culture that shuns conversation about death and makes hell a joke. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible talks plainly about death. And the Bible is quite clear about heaven and hell. And our text is as well. So let's all stand together because this is God's word in honor of that. And follow along as I read from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. 
But Abram said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things. And Lazarus, like men, are bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abram said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. You know, it's, it's fun to imagine what life and eternity may have been for the rich man and Lazarus if the rich man had obeyed James chapter 2. I mean, if, if this rich man had, had simply loved Lazarus's life, Lazarus, which uh, his name literally means helped of God, if, if this rich man would have helped Lazarus, maybe Lazarus would have, would have become physically well. Maybe he would have been able to get a job and work and not only provide for himself, but, but maybe even help other people. And who knows, but that maybe the rich man would have been himself helped of God by this one who was helped of God. But as it is, the story ended as most stories do, as the rich got richer and the poor got poor and died that way. Most of us only think in those terms because that's all we can really see. We, we don't often think about the eternal magnitude of these decisions, of, of what's really happening in the world and what our text today does. Our, this Bible text, what it's doing, it's, it's pulling back the curtain and allowing us to peer into heaven to see the eternal ramifications of what's going on here. Again, this text may be a shock to your system. It may be very hard for you to swallow. Let me encourage you to get beyond our westernized world of thinking. Let me encourage you to even remove yourself from the eastern way of thinking that wants to tell us that we're all just a drop in the sea and death is simply a wave that brings us back into the eternal now of emptiness. That is not true. The Bible teaches us that each one of us from conception is an eternal being who will be forever. That's hard to think about when, when it's hard to imagine thinking more than what we're going to do today or this week. I mean, I'm just trying to get through 2020. Show of hands. Who just wants to get out of the, yeah, out of this year, right? But our scripture today says, this too will pass and you will be somewhere 200 years from now. A thousand years from now. You will be. Your neighbors will be. The people you see in movies, 
the people you don't see that are pulling the strings behind so much of what is going on in the economy in our world today, they'll be a billion years from now. Every person conceived on this planet will be. We need to look at life from reality. The Bible reveals reality. And the reality is, as human beings, we are going to be somewhere forever. And those who seem to have it all, we need to understand that without Christ, there is nothing but pain. And we must love those who are hurting. And I know we see they've got this wealth, they've got this car, they've got the stuff, they've got all the connections. They need love. They need love. And our text shows us how we can love them best. So let me encourage you to take note on these three things. The first is this. We love our rich neighbors best by looking past their lifestyle to their eternity. Again, it's so easy to assume they have no problems because they don't have the same worry about survival that most do. They enjoy nice things. They receive special treatment. But what we don't see is that they still have families and they struggle What wealth often provides opportunity for is more sin. What wealthy people often have are access to more people. And often that opportunity leads to infidelity, leads to anger, leads to a focus on things and accomplishments rather than children or parents, rather than loving one another. We love the things. And so rich people often fall into this category and, and relationally their, their lives fall apart. They have very few friends because they wonder, do they like me or do they like my stuff? Do they want access to my boat? Do they want access to my home? Do they want access to the things I have? Or do they really care about me? So there's paranoia. There's constantly a questioning of, of the people they're around. They question their own identity. Am I more than what I have? Am I more than my accomplishments? And we often see uh, celebrities and, and people with power and resources taking their own lives. And we wonder, why would they do that when they have it all? And here's the problem. No matter what you have, you're still just you. And if you don't have peace with God, you don't have peace within. And you can't buy it. And if you don't have peace within, there's no peace that can be made elsewhere. So they have these problems relationally. They, they also have a lot to manage. And they can't understand anyone who's not doing what they do. And as a matter of fact, they often get frustrated and angry with people who refuse to pursue gain to the level they do. Uh, it makes me think of a story of a, of a wealthy man who was down in Mexico looking at some uh, waterfront property. And his associates were there telling him about the interest rates and the zoning laws and what he could and could not build. And Having been done, he was going back to his helicopter to fly to his private jet. And he happened to see what, what appeared to be a, 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 a man who was dressed well and seemed to be smiling and smoking a pipe and, and, and talking with some children. So he went to the man. It was the middle of the afternoon. He said, why aren't you working? And the man said, excuse me? He said, well, why aren't you at work? He said, oh, well, I own that boat. And uh, this morning we caught enough fish that, uh, that we're good for today and, and, and probably this week. And the rich man said, yes, but don't you understand if you would go work now, maybe in a few months you could buy another boat. 
And the man smoked his pipe. So, well, what would that get me? And he said, well, the rich man said, well, then you could get a whole fleet of boats. You can have all kinds of people working for you. And the man smoked his pipe. said, well, well, what would that get me? He said, well, then you can have all kinds of wealth. And, and you can sit here in your chair smoking your pipe with your children around you and enjoy what, what, what's in front of you. And he said, I'm doing that now. We so often think more is better. Friends, more is often just more to manage. And what rich people often, they, they can't get their minds around is why you wouldn't want more. And what they can't see is the more stuff that you have to consume, the more the stuff consumes you. And so they are people consumed with worry. They are people consumed with gaining more. Their relationships are, are difficult. And, and, and meanwhile, they're, they're really having a hard time gaining what they desire the most. Love. At the core of every human being, the greatest desire, the greatest hunger is for love. And many rich people don't have it because, well, they sold their soul. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is the situation of the rich man in our story. He ignored the poor, and now he himself was being ignored. He lived in comfort. He's now eternally in agony. He got what he wanted in life. Now he can get nothing that he wants. Please understand, him being rich did not make him a greater sinner. Being rich doesn't make you a greater sinner. Let me tell you what being rich does. Being rich affords you the opportunity to ignore your sin and the brokenness of the world around you. Because of your capacity, the capacity to gain creature comforts, many times the rich, they, they, don't, take, they don't take sin serious. They don't take brokenness seriously. It's kind of like this virus right now. I mean, I think there's a, I still can't believe there's people who are saying this thing's a hoax. Can I just tell you, it's real. And if you don't believe it, I would love to take you to our hospital. Dr. Steph, is one of our deacons, was telling me this morning about the numbers of people that are in very serious, very serious condition right in our hospital, just a few miles from where we are sitting right now. This virus is not a hoax. And can I tell you, sin is not a hoax. Now, we don't have, we don't have a cure for this virus, but can I tell you that God has provided a cure for sin? Jesus Christ, God himself, has come. He has come and he has paid the penalty for sin so that we can be healed by his love, healed by his power. If we will repent and believe the gospel, we can gain a new life. We need to take serious that this world is not our home. This is not God's design. Because of sin, the reality of sin, there is now brokenness in our lives and in our world. Now, rich people can often ignore that with entertainment and creature comforts, but we need to wake up and we need to help them wake up and understand that they must, we must repent and believe the gospel if we are to be saved. 
We must look to Jesus, the one who never fails, so that we can pursue and recover God's design. Yes, we live at a time and a place where it's sometimes easy, certainly for the rich, it's easy to think that sin and brokenness and hell is a hoax. It's not. Very real consequences. And we have to look beyond their lifestyle and we have to look at the condition of their soul and love them. Second thing to note is this. We love our rich neighbors best by knowing our identity and sharing our living hope. We need to understand who we are and we need to understand the blessing of what we have, this living hope, and we must share it. From Hades, the the rich man thought he could order Lazarus around. Isn't that interesting? Abraham, tell, tell Lazarus to get down here and take care of me. And I love Abraham's response. Sir, excuse me, he's a child of the king of heaven. What, what you did to him in life and what you got in life, it's not what he's getting now. He was helped of God. He was Lazarus. And he was and is an eternal child of the king of heaven. And he, he needed to probably even understood that. I can imagine Lazarus started getting up and Abraham had said, no, 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 no. You're no man's slave. You are a child of the king. You belong in this heaven. See, the children of God, we need to understand and experience the comfort that comes with knowing who we are. We are loved by the Father. We are saved by the Son. We are empowered by the Spirit, all because of the grace, the grace we have received by faith. That is our identity and our hope. It's an eternal hope. Not even death can phase us. You know, I've I've almost died a couple of times. Um, I almost died once when, when I wasn't a believer and it felt really different than the couple of times when I thought I was going to die as a believer. When I almost died as a believer, I had no fear or concern about me. I have constant hope in the living Christ that he has saved me. My concern was for family. My concern was for how they would, they would have to go on without me, how you would go on beyond me. You know, one of the things I know and one of the reasons why I'm, I'm comfortable ready and ready to go home when God calls me, although it's, I hope it's not today because there's other things I think God wants us to do, but, but there is a peace. Do you have that peace? I mean, if today is the day that you die. Is it well with your soul? In life and death, there is a great chasm between believers and non-believers. There's a huge separation because those who are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, we have freedom and forgiveness. We have this, this knowledge that we know the moment we die, we're home. This world's not our home. Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, says this. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We have a different experience now than even the, that which was being described by Jesus. Because, see, we're now post-resurrection. The way we experience death now is very different than the way they experienced it before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whenever a person would die, they would enter into what would be known as Sheol, the abode of the dead. And in Sheol, there would be Hades, or hell, as we know it, and there would be what has been poetically called Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side, or paradise. You'll remember pre-resurrection, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, looks over to the thief who has called out to him in faith, and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And that was the state of Sheol. There was Hades, there was a chasm, and there was Abraham's side. Now there is a new reality. Because when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he, he brought the captives with him so that the souls of all the redeemed are now in the presence of God. So when John looked at the, the throne room of God, what did he see? He saw people. He saw saints. When Isaiah and Isaiah sick looked in the throne room of God, all he saw were angels. There is a paradise. There was a paradise different than the heaven that we know of today. When Jesus Christ was raised, he took all the saints of glory who had already passed and they entered into this place that we now call heaven. Now, there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I highly advise you go and read Revelation, the last two chapters, and enjoy. And know that there is yet a new heaven and a new earth that is to come. But make no mistake, hell is hell. There's no talk of a new hell. There's a new heaven and a new earth because the two shall become one. But hell is hell. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 66, 24, spoke of hell. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Friends, hell is real. So is heaven. And, and in heaven, you know what makes heaven heaven? It's not the gold. It's not the pearly gates. It's not the angels. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus. Because we're with him. We're with him forever. Now, is it beautiful? Yeah, I hear what matters most is that we will be with the Lord forever. We will be with love. We will be filled with love. We will never be alone. We will never be bored. We will never wonder what's, what's, what's going to happen. We're always going to be happy and satisfied with every exciting adventure into understanding and sensing the greatness of our God. Friends, can I, can I just tell you this? If you don't have Jesus in life, you won't have him in death. If you're not walking with Jesus in life, death is not going to just give you a segue simply into a life with him. It is a life that is received right now by grace through faith in Christ alone. And if you die separated from Jesus, you will go on and on and on. But without the Lord... The wrath of God will be poured out on your eternal soul because of your eternal sin against our eternal God. Friends, if you have never repented of your sin, 
Do it now. If you're not walking with Jesus, begin that relationship right now. As a matter of fact, let's just bow our heads wherever you are right now. Bow your heads right there where you are. Unless you're driving, just keep driving. But everyone else, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Ask yourself a simple question. Are you alive to Jesus Christ and is he alive to you? Can you remember a time before Jesus was your Savior and Lord? How he became your Savior and Lord? And can you speak to how he's now at work in your life as Savior and Lord? See, that's what every saved person can say. My life before Christ, my life come to know Christ, my life after Christ. Do you have that life? If not, you're just a churchgoer. And let me tell you, the devil goes to church every Sunday. If you're a person who knows the Bible, you don't know it near as good as the devil. The devil knows the Bible too. How can you know you're saved? If you repent and believe the gospel. Here's what I would advise you to do right now. In the quiet of this moment, pray something like this to God. Say, God, I have sinned. I'm on my own. I need you. Forgive me. Give me new life. Give me eternal life with you forever. Father, I pray right now that many are being saved. And I pray that their eternity is being changed and that they are now going to be able to help others to know this hope because they're a new creation in Christ, new identity. They now have a living hope. Bless them in it, in Jesus' name. Amen. So those who have been saved, we must share our identity. We must share our living hope. That is what our rich neighbors need. That's what the world needs. Last, take note. We love our rich neighbors best by helping them serve their families with truth. Again, this is stunning. The the, the rich man, understanding his reality, begins to think immediately about what almost all of us begin to think about at the time of our death, our family, the people we love. And he says, he says to him, Abraham, look what it says there in verse, in verse 27 and 28. I beg you, send Lazarus to my father's house. Again, he still doesn't understand that Lazarus is not some slave. He is a child of the king of heaven. Send them to my five brothers. And Abraham says, no, no. They've got to listen to Moses and the prophets. And he says, no, they won't listen. See, the rich man knew the mindset of his own siblings, which is the mindset of many of you here today, many of you listening, many in our culture, is that you don't believe in Moses and the prophets. You don't believe the Bible. Your truth as you would reference it, comes from either how you feel or how you think, or you're, you're trusting in academicians, you know, what they tell you at school, what, they, what you see in entertainment industry. Mo- many of you know more about Star Wars than you do th- the Savior. You can tell me more about your favorite TV show than you can the Gospels, because you don't believe the Word. 
You don't hunger for the word. And so what you're left with is whatever truth seems appropriate to you. And can I just tell you, your mind, your heart, our culture, everyone who claims to know it all, it's all deficient. It's not sufficient. It's always tainted. Please tell me you're not relying on your thoughts and feelings for truth. Please tell me you're not relying on our media for your truth. Please tell me you're not, you're not, you're not relying on politicians or the entertainment industry or your favorite music that, that is outside of Christ to tell you the truth. Please tell me you know that. There's one truth. It's the word of God. Truth made flesh is Jesus Christ. And either you know him and his word or what you're holding on to is very deficient. And so Abraham says, they've got the word. Abraham says, the, the, the rich man says, no, 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 no. If they see a dead man raised, they will believe. And we all sort of smile because we know better, don't we? Because the dead man has been raised. God who became flesh and lived a holy life and died on the cross to pay for our sins, on the third day, he arose, he is alive, he will return, and yet many don't believe. Some of you here today, you still don't believe, and a dead man has been raised to announce that the kingdom of God has come. You must repent and believe, or you will suffer forever. Friends, the rich, which is most of us who have more than a couple of pairs of shoes, probably a different set of clothing we could wear each day of the week. The rich, most of us who drove in vehicles at the cost of gasoline that would feed a family. We're rich. The people we know are rich. And this wealth can deceive. This wealth can make us blind. Oh God, open our eyes and let us see. Let's pray. Father, this, this truth is so contrary to what we hear regularly. It's, it's hard for us to believe it. But it's true, God. Your word is true. Father, please help us to understand the reality of eternity. This morning, through your word, we were, we were able to get beyond the curtain of time and space and see eternity and understand reality. Father, please let it shock us into an awareness, into a wakefulness. Revive us, God, with truth and hope that leads us to prayer, to cry out for our neighbors, to cry out for our homes, to cry out for the needs of our country and this world. God, hear our prayer 
that you would awaken this nation with, with a great movement of your Holy Spirit before we, we fall too far away. If, if we've not already, God, please revive us. Please awaken us. Lord, we are rich. Do not let us be blinded. Give us eyes that can see, hearts that believe, and a willingness to know and love you forever and ever. Amen.